Amen. Thank you, Melinda. Nice job, nice song. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Now that we are back in what I'll call our normal mode, our children, our master clubs, I think there's 19 adult workers with them, and we have five workers back in the nursery, and six or eight adults helping our teens, and I'm thankful for the people God has raised up here. And uh, last week, um, now that we're back in normal mode, I started a book study of the book of Job. And though we don't know for sure when Job lived, we don't know for sure where the land of Uz was. Uh, we don't know who the human author of the book of Job was. We do know that God inspired and preserved this book so that it would help us. Uh, last week we introduced the book and we began talking about Job himself. We were able to meet a man uh, who without any written Bible, uh, without the Holy Spirit living in him like he lives in the heart of New Testament believers, uh, Job was mature, uh, he was upright, he had a healthy fear of God, and he was a man who avoided evil. And we discussed Job's great wealth and we talked about how minimally he employed 800 grown men uh, in his business endeavors, and likely many, many more than that. We saw his deep concern uh, for his adult children, saw his faith in God in offering uh, burnt offerings and blood sacrifices for them on their birthdays. Uh, he was concerned about their hearts. He wanted their hearts right with God. We saw his charity to the widows and the poor and his impact on the community and how he stood in the gate or sat in the gate where the elders and those who were respected sat to bring and give judgment to those who came to the gate for that. He was certainly uh, the kind of man all of us would respect. He was a rare individual in that he was a man with deep faith and also uh, very successful in life. And those things don't very often travel uh, well together. Uh, and we basically finished up concluding that from our perspective, this was the kind of man that we would allow just to keep doing what he was doing. Uh, I mean, he had faith, he had a godly family, he was impacting his community, his faith cast a shadow in the whole region. And if you and I were God, we would just let him keep going the way he was going. Uh, but we're not God. And that's a good thing. Because we would certainly mess up all kinds of things because by and large, we don't know uh, as much as we think we know. We, we think we know what needs to be done in all of these situations, uh, but God actually knows what needs to be done. And God knew that Job uh, needed something else. Uh, God is more interested in making us better people than he is interested in making our lives easy. And as we discussed last week, the book of Job isn't just about answering the question, why do the righteous suffer? The book of Job is also about teaching us that even the best from among us still need repentance. We still need to grow. If we would ever be all our creator hopes that we would be in life. Uh, last week our scene was the earth. 
And we talked about Job and his family and how he was in the community. But this week our text is going to move scenes. We are going to move from a scene on earth to a scene in heaven. We're going to change from getting a glimpse of a great and a godly man to instead getting a glimpse of God. I wonder what we can learn and apply from the life of Job and the book of Job so that you and I might be shaped more in the image of Jesus Christ. If you are able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please in honor of the God's word. Uh, the title of my thought tonight is The Meeting in Heaven. The Meeting in Heaven. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thus blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath. He will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Thank you, might be seated. And though we're not given any information about what the scene or the scenery looked like uh, for this heavenly meeting, uh, we are told that a meeting took place there. Uh, the first thing we notice here is that the sons of God assemble at times in heaven. In verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now, there's plenty of debate among those who believe the Bible who the sons of God were in Old Testament days, uh, mostly not here, uh, mostly in Genesis chapter 6. Here it's pretty clear that the sons of God in this particular case, they're angels. Uh, now to the best of my knowledge, paradise, the place where Old Testament believers went when they died, was not yet up in the third heaven where God is. It wouldn't be there until after Christ's resurrection. And so these sons of God are, are not likely to be people who are in heaven. Uh, in my opinion, these are angels, and they're assembling uh, for some sort of a meeting in heaven. Why they assemble, I don't know. How often they assemble, I don't know. The debate really doesn't center around what's going on here in Job so much as the fact that in Genesis chapter 6, in verse 4, prior to the flood of Noah, it says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that they married these, quote, daughters of men, and that their offspring were, quote, giants in those days. And some people say, in Genesis 6, those were angels. Uh, in my personal opinion, uh, they were not. They were the godly line of Seth. But listen, there is plenty, there are plenty of thoughtful, Bible-believing, serious students who are on both sides of that issue. And quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't matter at all. And none of us will know for sure 
until we see Jesus and we can actually ask that question. Uh, but one of the things that this sort of sets aside is people have this idea that heaven is really just about, you know, everybody goes there and then 24-7, you're just around the throne of God, praising God. And, and quite frankly, that particular false view of heaven, that's not a very appealing view to a, a lot of people. And I don't debate that there will be plenty of times when we gather around the throne of God and we uh, praise God and sing together. Uh, it'll be wonderful. But understand, that's not all we're going to do. Uh, the gates of the New Jerusalem are open 24-7, and which means that believers in heaven are going to have access to all of God's creation, perhaps even uh, not just on our own planet. Uh, but God has great things in store, and whatever these sons of God were doing at other times, we don't know, but here they have a meeting. It's interesting that assembling together mattered even for angels. I do know this. God uses men and angels to do much of his work rather than doing it himself directly. I, I mean, there, there's so many things that God could do himself and do so much better than any of us could do them. But God, he, he doesn't choose to do things that way. He understands that uh, you and I, we need a purpose in life, that you and I uh, have these gifts, natural gifts and spiritual gifts if you're a true Christian in, in your life, and, and that God gives joy and purpose and fulfillment to his people in using those gifts. And this meeting, you, you know, they're talking about what's going on. And other times, you, you see that in the Old Testament as well. God has a plan, and he uses people to do it. Uh, by the way, God using people and you and I using our gifts and serving Christ faithfully and people thinking that that somehow takes away from their life is the opposite of what's true. I mean, you see people running all the time from the root will of God. And well, if I'm, if I'm that committed to church, I won't get to do this. If I am really this committed to doing the ministry that I do for Christ, why won't you get to do that? Hey, listen, there's way more fulfillment doing what God designed you to do than anything else there is to do. By the way, I hope you have come to recognize the joy and fulfillment that God wants to give you as a believer in Jesus doing what he designed you to do. Uh, I, I personally believe that you would have the same joy and satisfaction doing what God has designed you to do as he gives me in doing what he designed me to do. And, and that's why if you don't do anything in the Lord's church and you don't do anything really in the cause of Christ, understand you're missing out. You're not more free. You are in more bondage. You are not finding more joy on a ball field or in your 401k, you're having less joy than you would have doing what Christ made you to do. But the sons of God assemble at times in heaven, and then notice at this meeting, God's going to ask a question. Uh, he does that in the beginning of verse 7, the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Uh, understand that when God asks a question, he's not looking for information. Uh, you study the Gospels and read about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and very often he asks people questions. He, he, he's not looking for information. He already knows everything. And, and so when Jesus asks a question or 
God asks a question of some sort. I mean, understand, he, he, he's always trying to get us to see something. He wants someone to recognize or real, re, realize something that they're not seeing. And here, he, God asks this question because he wants us to see something. Uh, and Satan, uh, in his answer, we learn that, you know, he was up to business on the earth. The second half of verse 7, then Satan uh, answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. And now there's some people, they think Satan's in hell today. Uh, he's not. Uh, he's loose. He's still walking around and going up and down and to and fro uh, in, the, in, in the earth. He's free to do that. And he still has access to heaven. Uh, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he'll be doing that all the way up to the middle of the seven-year coming tribulation when he's finally cast out of heaven, and then he won't actually be in hell until the end of Christ's reign, and so he's busy today on earth. But to be honest with you, um, I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit for what's going on. He is loose, he is free, he has who knows how many, certainly millions uh, of fallen angels uh, One-third of the angels rebelled with him when he uh, rebelled against his creator, and there's at least 104 million of them. And so uh, he, he's got millions of, of devils, millions of fallen angels who, who are loyal to him. But understand this, most of our problems really, they're not directly linked to the devil. Uh, by and large, your and my biggest problems are our own flesh and the world. I mean, we have three enemies, the Satan and the world and our flesh. And by and large, you and I have way more personal issues with our flesh and the world than we ever have directly with Satan or any of those fallen spirits who are loyal to him. See, then Satan, just like today, he was busy on earth seeking whom he might devour. Whether he realized this or not, every false religion, every false god, is really, according to the New Testament, some fallen spirit. I mean, I wouldn't say this to a Muslim face-to-face, -face, but it's very likely that there's a fallen spirit named Allah. And there are certainly fallen spirits loyal to uh, Lucifer named Shiva and Brahma and Vishnu. I mean, you name any one of the false gods in our world today, and according to Paul in the New Testament, they are a fallen spirit. And Satan is busy, but most of our problems uh, aren't directly with him. They're with our own selves. One of the problems I think we have as Christian people is I don't think we are honest with ourselves. I think that we don't want to honestly face the darkness that's in our own hearts. You know, when Christ comes in in our life, he gives us a new nature, the Spirit of God moves into our life, and there is a part of us that desires the things of God. Uh, but our old nature, our fallen nature, it never leaves, and that conflict inside of us begins. And understand that if you and I aren't careful, as we mature in our faith and begin to try to follow Christ a little more closely, we will almost pretend that we don't have these dark places in our heart. And if you and I 
aren't honest about our own potential to fail. Our own potential to do just a terrible thing. If we're not honest about our own potential to do that, understand we're ripe to have that happen. By the way, I hope you're not the kind of person that gets mad when someone asks you a question. Uh, We worked on this a lot when we were raising our boys because uh, automatically you ask them a question and they take it like an accusation. Oh, some some people here are like that. You you know, listen, uh, very often questions are just honest questions. And God asks a question, he wants us to see something, and we were able to see what Satan was busy at because God asked that question. Uh, The next thing that happens in this meeting is uh, God is going to brag about Job in in verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? By the way, I have that little phrase underlined. See, Job wasn't just a man who was perfect and upright and who feared God and uh, eschewed evil. He was the best man on the planet. This book of Job is God dealing with the best human being on the globe. I mean, think about that. Uh, God's testimony of, of Satan Uh, of Job is just like the Holy Spirit's. Remember what the Holy Spirit said about Job in verse 1? A man that was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. It's no surprise that God, in verse 8, when he brags about Job, he says there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil. What a testimony. What a testimony. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if God could brag on us? I don't know about you, but it always made me feel good if my parents ever bragged on me. I didn't give them a lot of reason to do that, but if it ever happened, it made me feel good. Uh, It always made me feel good if I was somewhere and my boss bragged about me. It always made me feel good uh, when my old pastor uh, would brag about me. Again, I didn't give them a lot of reason to, but on those rare occasions. There's something... Just, we love it when someone who we respect and look up to thinks highly of us, and God the Creator, who knew every human being, says, hey, there's nobody, Satan, hey, look, there's nobody like Job. (laughs) Wow. So Satan, now that God has baited him. And, and that's what's going on. God, God is playing with the devil. He, he is baiting Satan because he knows who Satan is. He knows as soon as Satan, uh, as God brags on Satan, he knows that Satan's going to say, well, if God's going to brag on him. I, I hate everybody God loves, so I'm going to do something. And so God is basically baiting the devil here. And uh, so Satan chimes in. And remember, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And so it's no surprise that he's going to accuse Job. And God gave his evaluation, but Satan's going to accuse Job of basically only being that way because God has given him money and success. Uh, 
verses 9 and 10. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Remember, he had a healthy fear of God. Verse 10, Hast thou not made a hedge about him, about his house, about all that he hath on every side? Thus blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. That's his accusation. Uh, By the way, uh, Satan is not right about Job. God is. I'm glad as a believer in Jesus Christ that I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thus, if you belong to Jesus, you have an advocate at the right hand of the Father who will always say, he belongs to me. Now, I don't think Jesus is always proud of what we do. I I think he says, well, I don't really like what he's doing there, but he belongs to me. Satan questions Job's motive. He doesn't really know Job's heart. He's guessing. Uh, God did know Job's heart. Uh, Satan doesn't know your heart. Now, he is probably a master at reading people and going and looking at what we do and don't do and how we say things and our facial expressions, and he's probably a, a master at guessing what's in our heart. But here, he's completely wrong about Job's heart. By the way, it's encouraging to me to know that Satan doesn't know my heart. So why is it encouraging? Because you know what? When he throws up accusations in my mind about me, I know that he doesn't really know what he's talking about. By the way, that's a good thing to remember. Again, I've said this a hundred times behind this pulpit. You know, if you haven't recognized that your own mind is probably the greatest enemy that you have you're going to lose too many battles in your mind. But Satan is not omniscient. He does not know the future with 100% certainty like God does. And he's clearly wrong about Job. Verse 11, put forth thine hand now, touch all that he hath, he will curse thee to thy face. He was wrong. I'm getting ahead of myself in the story, but Satan's accusation, he was just flat wrong. That is not what Job did. God knew that Job wasn't just being faithful because God had given him wealth. God knew Job wasn't just being faithful because God had made him prominent. God God knew that. God knew Job really believed. God, God knew that Job was sincere in his faith. God knew that what Job did, he did because it was really in his heart. It was not for public display. It was not for prominence. It was not for wealth. God knew Job's heart. And by the way, he knows yours and mine good or bad. It's hard to admit, but you know, none of us really know the depth of our faith until it's tested. You know, I think all of us, if you are somebody who tries to sincerely follow Jesus, we'd like to think that when we're tested, faith is going to come out. Remember, you've heard me say a lot of times, uh, we're like caterpillars when we're squeezed What's on the inside comes out. Uh, When you and I are squeezed in life, what's really on the inside comes out, and we would all like to think that if we're squeezed, if we're the one who has trouble in our family, if we're the one who has trouble with our health, if we're the one who has trouble in ministry, if we're the one who has some trouble at work, we, we would like to think that when we're squeezed, that faith would come out and the doing of right would come out. But the fact of the matter is, is none of us are ever really sure until we're squeezed. Sometimes 
When we're squeezed, we are surprised at the faith we weren't sure we had. And other times when we're squeezed, we learn, if we're honest, we didn't really have the faith we thought we had. If you really want to know, if you don't really want to play church, if you don't really want to play Christian, if you don't want to just play follower of Jesus, then look at the times in your life when you're squeezed, when you're squeezed in your marriage, when you're squeezed in handling your children, when you're squeezed at work, when you're squeezed by people handling you or mishandling you or your children. Watch and see what comes out if you really want to know what's in your heart. And I hope you're honestly facing that when you're squeezed in the dark places in your heart instead of pretending they don't, be, don't exist. See, Satan, as I said, is not omniscient. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And he knew that Job could take what Satan was about to do. God knew Job's heart. God knew Satan's heart. God knew what Satan was going to do, and God knew that Job could take this. In verse 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. So notice, anything Satan is going to do is in the power of Satan to do, if God allows him to. All that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of of the Lord. If you're here and you're saved, you ought to just pause and thank God that nothing gets to you until it first flows through the loving hands of our Father. Nothing gets to you or me until it first flows through the loving hands of our Father. Uh, keep your hand there. One of the most encouraging New Testament verses to me is in 1 Corinthians 10. You go there real quickly. There's some great Bible promises. Sometimes Bible promises are helpful to claim in prayer. Sometimes Bible promises are just helpful to help our faith when uh, we're struggling. And, and by the way, uh, if you get squeezed, you're going to struggle. Uh, we're, we're not light switches, we're not automatics. And we have to go through this process of, you know, what's going to, what, what am I going to do with my situation? And to me, this is just a great Bible promise. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you've not highlighted or underlined this already, you ought. If you haven't memorized it, you should put it on your list of verses to memorize. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, there's nothing that's happened to you that hasn't happened to someone else. It says, but God is faithful. Well, that's a highlight right there. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Nothing that ever happens to someone in a church is too much for them to automatically lose faith. Nothing that ever happens in our marriage, nothing that ever happens in our health, Nothing that ever happens in our children. Nothing that ever happens in our work, workplace. It is never actually too much. It's a great promise. God, you go over a little bridge on a country road and it'll say load limit. 
have a number there. Listen, God has a load limit sign on every one of his children, and he makes sure nothing ever exceeds it. And you go back to our text, because as we think about what's going to happen to Job, if you know the story, uh, you can't help but just sitting back and say, that's too much. That's too much. Listen, I'm not the only one here uh, who hasn't had times when we were parenting our children and this or that was happening to them in the school or happening to them in the church or happening to them in their personal life and, and you didn't think, well, wow, God, that's too much. There's, there's none of us here who have been saved for any length of time who haven't been in a circumstance where we looked at what was happening to us and felt like, God, that's too much. Feeling like that is normal, but understand the fact is is that it's never actually too much. This was the greatest man of faith on the entire planet who God knew his heart and God knew that with God's grace, Job could take all that Satan was going to give to him. And here God is allowed, he allows Satan to hurt or take anything from Job he wants to take except he's not allowed to touch his health. By the way, God's still playing Satan. Satan thinks he knows Job. God's just playing Satan. He knows what Satan's going to do. He knows what Job can take. God knew exactly what Job needed to take the next step in his walk of faith. God knew what Job needed to go from being a bright light in the entire region around the land of us to being a brighter light in the region around the land of us. God knew what Job needed to be a light for thousands of years into the future. We still read this story today and we still find instruction and help and encouragement from God knew that. And in a moment, we're going to read what Satan did in this initial volley and the real character of our spiritual adversary is going to be on display. I I actually think that far too many people play with things that are actually spiritually dangerous. And they do that in part because they underestimate the resolve and the evil heart of our adversary. He is not at all like any bad person you or I know. I mean, he has no remorse at anything he takes or does to any individual whatsoever. He does not play fair. He will not play fair with you. He will not play fair with your children. He will not play fair in the Lord's church. He is evil to his core. He is described as a lion who seeks who he might devour. In fact, keep your hand there. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. I would think most of you who have been around biblical churches for any length of time have this verse memorized or certainly have it highlighted or underlined in in your Bible. It is one of those great foundational biblical truths that uh, everyone who has any Bible knowledge should be aware of, but in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, be sober. Uh, By the way, be sober. Seven times in the New Testament, 
it says, be sober. (laughs) Be vigilant. Which means if you're not sober and not vigilant, you're in danger. Why should I be sober and vigilant? Because your adversary, the devil, he's first and foremost God's adversary, but he's also our adversary. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. By the way, you don't have to go looking for him. He is looking for you. And he is not going to play. He's going to devour. Which is why, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be drawing nigh to God. Because when we draw nigh to God, God draws nigh to us. You say, what would this roaring lion, and you can go back to Job chapter 1, what would this roaring lion do in the life of Job when God gives him the green light to do anything he wants to do other than take his health? What would he do? Verses 13 to 19, there was a day when his sons and daughters are eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. By the way, remember from chapter 1 in in verse 5 that whenever they had their birthday parties, on that morning, Job offered a burnt offering for them. And so this is one of the days when early in the morning, Job got up and he prayed for his children. He offered a sacrifice for them. And notice what happens all in that day in a matter of moments. Verse 14, there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. The Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I am escaped alone to tell thee. By the way, God had a plan in what he allowed Satan to do. Satan had a plan in what he was doing to Job. God planned to expose the depth of Job's faith. God planned to shape Job into a better man and believer. God planned for Job to be a good example of faith and adversity for thousands of years. Satan planned to bring Job down. Satan planned to inflict as much pain as possible, hoping to expose something dark he thought to be in Job's heart. Satan planned to hurt God as much as possible because he knew God loved Job. So the Sabians, they come and they take 1,000 oxen, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and they kill the servants working with them. 500 men and 20 caregivers of oxen. Caregivers to those oxen. 500 female donkeys. All of them, they're all gone. The Sabians were a people group in southwest Arabia. It's modern day Yemen, lower Saudi Arabia, that area. The only person left alive was somebody to bring bad news. But notice that the timing of these events were intended by the devil to add weight with everything he did because Satan not only got to control what he did, he controlled when. And so notice in verse 16, while he was yet speaking, and so this is just in moments, there came also another He said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven, hath burned up the sheep and the servants, consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Remember, Job had 7,000 sheep. So if each shepherd watched 50 sheep, 
There are 140 shepherds. As this fireball from heaven, so fierce that it did not just kill them, it consumed them. Fell. Notice the servant calls it the fire of God. And so this servant is coming to Job and saying, this is God's fault. I mean, Satan has this kind of power. No, he only uses it when God allows him to do so. Uh, God did not allow him to do so when Elijah had the contest with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. He will in the future allow uh, Satan to do so when the Antichrist calls fire out of heaven uh, to impress and deceive those who are willfully ignorant of what the scriptures say about the Antichrist. And God here, he allows him to do it. And here, a fire so fierce and so large from heaven that it consumes all these men and sheep. The only one spared? Somebody to bring bad news. Uh, and the timing is intended to add weight to the events because look at seven, verse 17. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell on the camels and have carried them away. Yea, have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am an escaped to tell thee. I remember he had 3,000 camels. Remember camels were not food. They were for transportation. Job was in part at least in the transportation business. And so it's no surprise they killed the servants and they took the camels and whatever goods the camels were uh, carrying. And again, th th there's tens of men minimally who are dying at the hand of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were people from what later would be called Babylon. And at this time, uh, in the days of the patriarchs, Babylon was not a regional power yet. It was an area, it was a people group. Uh, they wouldn't become powerful for another few hundred years, but these Chaldeans fall and they leave one man to bear bad news. Say, Brother Wally, how can Satan orchestrate these three events in this fourth event we're going to read about in a moment? How can he orchestrate them in such a manner as that these men come sequentially with these bad reports? Listen, don't underestimate our spiritual adversary. I don't know how he does it. Quite frankly, I don't know how God orchestrates people using their free will to have everything come together. I don't get that either. But notice the timing and how Satan is still adding weight to everything that goes on with this fourth event in verses 18 and 19 while he was yet speaking. So, so this is just minutes. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they're dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. On the morning, imagine Job that morning. He gets up early. He offers a sacrifice for his children. He stops and he thinks about them. He prays about them. He prays for them. And on that very day, in what anyone would describe as an act of God, a fierce wind collapses the walls on the oldest son's house and kills all ten children. 
imagine. Satan didn't even spare one child to bring the bad report. Uh, Again, go ahead, play with yoga. Go ahead, play with your Ouija board. Yeah, it's just harmless fun to watch tarot cards. Yeah, it's harmless fun to go watch these horror movies that are filled with things that are clearly evil. Go ahead, play. You are underestimating the hatred and the evil and the malice that our spiritual adversary has and for any of us, not because any of us were so important, but because we're important to God and because he loves us and because he is God's ultimate adversary. We can only imagine the difficulty of hearing all this in a matter of moments. No time to process anything. One seemingly impossible tragedy after another. But such is the devouring lion who hates us. Job immediately was ruined financially. He and his wife immediately had to plan a funeral with ten caskets for their own children. Job no longer could help families and that he had employed, and now there, there's at least 800 families with no father, no husband, no provider. That's our adversary. Moments. When we pause to compare what happened to Job and to his wife with the difficulty of the things that happen in our life that we consider to be unjust. Oh, my boss did this. Oh, they were mean to my child in youth ministry. Oh, this deacon did that. This pastor's kids did this. Makes me ashamed. Our problems and our difficulties are real. But they do pale in comparison to what happened to Job in a matter of moments. I wonder how Job is going to respond. He's a faithful man. He's a family man. He's a mature man. He's an upright man. He's a man with a healthy fear of God. He's a man who avoided his shoot evil. I wonder how he's going to respond. He's the greatest man on all the earth, but... He's still just a man. And the best from among men is still a man at best. Will the weight of these events break Job and his faith in God? How will his wife handle things? After all, those ten children were her children too. And all the wealth that was taken away, it was also her wealth. Will the weight of these events Move Job to draw nigh to God in his valley, or will Job, like so many people do in their valley, when their faith and their faithfulness are squeezed, will he will he turn on God? But his response, we'll have to wait till next time. You bow your heads and close your eyes.